If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. In cinematic terms, it may well be the greatest story ever told, with its groundbreaking special effects, unforgettable cast of characters and universal themes. The original Star Wars trilogy has inspired and delighted filmgoers ever since. A New Hope blew everyone away in 1977. Amongst those to have felt its force is Gareth Edwards, the man charged with directing the latest addition to the franchise, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which directors, writers and actors talk about screen music. And it goes without saying that music is central to the impact of George Lucas's masterpiece, as are the iconic sound effects. John Williams' score is one of the most famous ever written, while we all mimic the noise of a TIE fighter or lightsaber when we played the toys as kids. Gareth was only too aware of this sonic legacy and we'll discuss how he and composer Michael Giacchino acknowledged it in Rogue One. We'll also explore his collaborations with John Hopkins and Alexander Desplat on Monsters and Godzilla respectively. But we begin in a galaxy far, far away and the extent to which John's work shaped the soundscape for Rogue One. Let's start with Star Wars because there's an iconic sound with the music and also the soundscape of the films, but you've held back from that slightly. Yeah, I mean, we always said, like, it's inevitable that people are going to be attracted by the idea of stormtroopers and the Death Star and Darth Vader or whatever. And then we want to suck them into our world and our characters. And then they forget why they came and they get engrossed in our storyline. And then suddenly, as the film progresses and it gets closer to the original film, like all these little icing on the cake layers start appearing. And you suddenly go, oh yeah, oh yeah, of course. And so we wanted to do that with the music as well and evolve our own style. Michael Giacchino who did it and there's some beautiful stuff I'm really proud of like towards the end of the movie he's done some heartbreaking uh, really emotional tracks
almost tease us sometimes with it. You hear the sort of chord formations of those really iconic themes from old Star Wars and then you almost pull it back. It's really clever. There's little pieces here and there that, that remind me of certain things and then it, it gets closer and closer to the Star Wars we know and love. really just my us on his own. He, he, we had so little time in the end that he did the whole soundtrack in about four and a half weeks. Wow, that's crazy. Our schedule got pushed a bit and he was like, we need to do this, but you're only going to have four and a half weeks, which is impossible. He's like, I can't do it. And then his brother apparently said to him, are you crazy? You've been writing this score since you were 10 years old. He listened to Empire Strikes Back to death as a kid. And that's why he got into composing. And, and so it just sort of flowed out of him. And that's an amazing sort of coincidence for both of you then. You know, the Star Wars and New Hope is the reason that you're, you wanted to make films. And for him, Empire Strikes Back is the reason he's composing. What a lovely marriage on set. Yeah, I mean, it's true of everybody. I think every single person on this film, from the design department to costumes to the writers, they all got into filmmaking because of Star Wars. And so it was genuinely a dream project for everybody. had this notion that you'd turn up to the Star Wars office and there'd be like a computer with a folder that said Star Wars sound effects. Ooh, that... ooh, 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 ooh. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, the Death Star, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Commence primary ignition. have access to all that stuff all those things you know the the sound of Darth's kind of breathing all that kind of stuff yeah anything you want they'll give you it but what we mainly did as the film was being put together was just stole from the original films So you get a copy of 
Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Jedi that's got the music separate to the sound effects, separate to the dialogue. Not the actual final movie, but whilst we were making it, we were grabbing all stuff from the original, because we knew where they were. It's like, yeah. I, need, I need the ooh sound. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, go to this part of like A New Hope and you know, you, there's like two places you can grab it. And... Yeah. I love the sound of the TIE fighters as well. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> this world so much and you know, just years of playing with toys as a kid years of playing with toys as kids and then now you spent the last two and a half years playing with this film and making one it's yeah. amazing Is it sunk in yet no it, re- <laughs> no it really hasn't I don't know when it will I was worried it was going to suddenly hit me like a ton of bricks at the yeah. premiere because I hadn't you, you genuinely have to cut a cord in you that stops you having an emotional reaction to all this stuff because yeah. otherwise you just get paralysed you can't function every day and so you sort of block it all out and after two years of blocking it out you can't then just suddenly let it all in yeah. and so I was, I was scared that in the premiere I was going to start crying or something like it's going to suddenly hit me yeah. and, and I did have to try really hard without ruining it for people the film sort of builds and builds and as it gets towards the end there was like more and more reaction from the crowd and then at the very very end when it cut to credits there was just such a great response that I was like don't tear up don't tear up made a very strong choice when the movie opens to not have the rolling titles and the music straight away as well. The studio was looking to do something different for the beginning because it was not part of the sagas and they wanted to differentiate it from that. Also, our film is born out of that text. The text at the beginning of the original Star Wars film is pretty much describing our movie. And so to sort of have put text in ours is like trying to give birth to a prequel to a prequel, you know. (laughs) Yeah. And then our film also begins with like a prologue. And so the opening scene of our movie is kind of the text. And so just for lots of different reasons, you know, we just cut straight to the story. love the film and I just think it's a wonderful world and Michael the wealth of stuff that he's done things like Let Me In that he did that I thought was Mm. great and Inside Out as well it's just a wonderful wonderful film (laughs) 
how does the decision process work with you in terms of who you decide to work with on the composer side of things? Because you've worked with John Hopkins on Monsters and Alexander Desplat on Godzilla. Yeah, I guess you have a choice for Star Wars. Like, do you want someone who can mimic John Williams or someone who's going to bring something totally new to the table? And Michael can kind of do both. Because John Williams is such a high bar. Like, the guy is probably one of the greatest composers ever in cinema. And so, like, being the first person to do a Star Wars soundtrack that's normally John Williams is, like, quite intimidating. Um, but Michael was really excited about it. Like, didn't seem to be in any way phased. He was just, can I do it in the amount of time we had? What we did, I remember they sent through all the original sheet music yeah. that John did for the original Star Wars A New Hope. Because what you think you hear sometimes is not what you actually hear. And so Michael could look at that and go, oh, that's how they did that. Okay. And I was asking him, was like, was it how you predicted? Like, you must have had an opinion on how did they yeah. do this? Because, you know, you never really get trained. You kind of always just do trial and error when you work in any creative you know, medium. And, and he said, yeah, he was like, half of it I was like... Oh, yeah, that's exactly how I thought they did it. And he says, and then the other half was kind of like, oh, wow, oh, okay, that's interesting. Then he could, like, borrow those ideas and use them in his. Oh, it's like a tutorial with Williams. Yeah. For me, George Lucas seeing the film was, like, the most important review of the, you know I could ever have. I don't think John Williams has seen it yet. I'd be interested. No, I, don't I was going to so. ask if they talked. They know each other. I'm pretty sure of that. I know there was some conversations going on, but um, no, I think it's like the way George was with us in that he kind of left us alone and said, I'll see you, know, see you at the premiere type thing. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> same way that the with the the original trilogy we have themes around different groups of people and individuals and stuff was that something that you wanted to work with a michael for this in terms of characters having specific instrumentation or sounds or themes or melodies yeah it's interesting because i think when you sit down initially and do these sort of things you sort of go okay we need a theme for Jin and we need a theme for Chirrut and a theme for Jeddah and then we need a theme for krennic and we need a theme for the empire and we need a theme and you might have all this shopping list of themes and things and then things get written and you just swap them around and go actually that could be more for maybe and you start to go maybe krennic is the empire and he doesn't need a separate theme and and actually maybe Jeddah represents the force and maybe that's the same as Chirrut and, and you can have all these great ideas in your head but really music speaks to you like it, by it bypasses your brain really and goes straight to your heart and so you can think whatever you want but it's how you feel about it that wins and and so you just you're just playing around until, until you get you know it feels the right response
I talk about Monsters for a second yeah, as well? Yeah. Because a fantastic film and our first introduction to you as, as a filmmaker, and you did everything on that, uh, you know, writing it, shooting it, directing it, creating the special effects and those monsters that you created as well. And I watched a really lovely little piece that Mark Carmel did with you where he turned up in your bedroom and you showed him about creating those monsters. With that, when you came to working on the music for that film, at what point did the music become part of it and when did you bring that in? Well, when you make a film, you do like a temp track, so you kind of steal from the soundtracks. Because no matter what anyone says, people can't watch a film. And if there's periods that should just be ambient music or something, if there's not got any music on it, it just seems boring and everyone wants to cut it and trim it. And So you have to put music on it before there's even music written. What did you have use as temp track on Star Wars? There was John Williams in there. There was things like Alexander Splat. Just my favourite soundtrack. And there was Hans Zimmer and stuff like this. Yeah. And so when we did Monsters, we had things like Solaris in there. It's like one of my favourites. And Hans Zimmer, like Thin Red Line type yeah. stuff. Just ambient, washy, emotional music. Mm-hmm. John Hopkins came along and, you know, it's one of those things that you think, oh no, it's always a a massive step down when someone, well, I've worked in TV and it tends to be like, never quite as good as what you've been stealing from, you know. (laughs) Yeah. And John watched the movie and and he was like, okay, yeah, I've got, yeah, I really want to do this, you know what I mean? And so he went home and I remember getting an email off him and it had these two tracks on it. And one of them is the theme to the movie and I just hit play on it. And was just had this massive smile on my face going, yeah, that's it. Like, that is it. John, I don't quite understand. I'm not musical at all. Like, as in, I don't. I've never had any formal musical training. Yeah, and so, but I went around his uh, studio, and he says, "I think this is your film." And he picked up what looked to me like a cowbell or something, <laughs> and it was like about five different bells on it. Mm-hmm. And he just hit each one, and he went, "I think these are like the chords. Like these are the notes in your movie." And it had this kind of bittersweet, sort of heartbreaky kind of feeling to it. And he says, "I think it's in that in that world somewhere." And you know, you're like, yeah, sure, John. I don't know what you mean, but (laughs) I sort of know what you mean. Yeah. Like, I can hear it and it feels right, but I don't know how that translates into a soundtrack.
And then he has all these like ambient pads and like layers and layers of stuff. And he would go write each track. Like he'd just go and write each one. And then the only thing we ever did to mess with anything was I'd go around there and, and you'd say, okay, close your eyes, right? There's like turn off the screen. Mm. And you'd say, in my opinion, this is when she looks up. This emotional bit goes, you know, changes. You go there. I think that's when she looked up and you keep listening and you go. And then I think this bit's when we see that boat or whatever it is. And sometimes they'd just be slightly out so you'd compress and stretch little sections. And, and that's all the only tweaking we did. We didn't have time as well. That's the problem with making films, is always a race to the, the release date. We had our monsters, we'd been accepted in South by Southwest, and we hadn't finished any of the visual effects. We sent him a copy of the film with just text on the screen saying, creatures mate, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. and, and we managed to get into that festival, and then so we had this deadline that we were all racing to. I remember when we, we've got it done just in time, got on a plane and went, and um, I remember turning up and the guy saying, did you replace the text, you know what I mean? Like, did you manage to get it replaced? And I said, and jokes like, yeah, it's a much better font now. Uh, it's, in, it's embossed, it's got like a chrome kind Talent. of reflection. And and he was like, he couldn't tell if I was joking or not, because I did it really dry and... and <laughs> he did it in kind of style. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. And then with Displa, with Godzilla, what I really remember, apart from the music with Godzilla, was that drone kind of thing that you had in it, which was really kind of terrifying, but really important to the film as well. What was the relationship with Alexander? It was great. He's got an amazing sense of humour as well, and he's like a really smart guy. And there's a lot of stress making a film, so you end up mocking each other a lot as a joke. And so I ended up having a really, uh, a lot of fun. And so, you know, your day would be, you know, most of the day would be in the edit and visual effects and things like this. Again, you know, you're hitting a deadline and you're having to race through this stuff. And then in the evening, I'd go around his house. He's got a little apartment in Hollywood, in the hills, and we'd go up there and, and then he'd just sort of play me what he'd done that day.
and he's really open-minded so if you'd listen to something and go okay but there's this little section here what about you know and, and sometimes you can't really help a musician because you're not articulate but you just sort of say this is great this is great this is great and here i feel like this could be stronger maybe in this mm-hmm. more more this feeling and he'd go okay and he'd just sit on his piano or on his keyboard and just rewrite it right in front of you And it's like someone driving a car or something. Yeah. And and you're going, no, left a bit more, no, more, more right. Oh, hang on, no, I don't recognise this. Oh, there it is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he would just try different things. Musical sat-nav. Yeah. <laughs> and then it'd be like, um, you have reached your destination, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in French or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And it was... It was amazing. It was amazing to witness someone who's so gifted that they can do 10 different great things, not just one. You know what I mean? They're not like, oh, oh it took me all day to do that. They can just go again and it's, and yeah. it's even better. And then you had some contemporary music in Godzilla, the Dusty Springfield track. Yeah, right, yeah. Is that your personal choices or how do you come to making those decisions about what you put in? I went out with a girl who was a massive Dusty Springfield fan and every time in the morning she'd play it. It just reminded me of that cosy relationship feeling and I just wanted that feeling at the beginning of the film for this one scene. And you normally ask for stuff and they go, we can't afford that. And I was like, no, it's got to be Dusty. And so, yeah, they used it and it was great. What's your hurry? Please don't eat and run. I don't know how it works. There was a few bands, I know they got contacted for other sections of the film, just like background things. I, I was in Japan on holiday once and I, I stupidly forgot my iPod. I was gutted because it's my whole reason for going is to get inspired and listen to music and walk around. And, and so I went to a store and I bought a portable CD player, this was ages ago, and then went into like their equivalent of HMV, which was yeah. like a six story store. and and just tried to find music and, 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 and it was quite embarrassing some of it was just based on the covers it looked cool <laughs> yeah. and I found a few artists that I liked on that trip and there was this Japanese group called Supercar yeah I'd never heard of them obviously and, and I played their greatest hits 
and it's all Japanese music and it was amazing like really really good maybe we should play some right but yeah but there was <laughs> it was really really good and I got very inspired walking around that city listening to this stuff and then when we came to do Godzilla there was a scene where they're in an apartment in Japan and wanted the neighbors to be playing loud music like <laughs> so it didn't feel very nice place to live and so I was like oh can we use supercar because it'd be really nice to like repay the favor and somehow let them know that they inspired me at one point but I don't think they could get the rights. No. It was like, I was thinking, no, that would be the easy one to get. Yeah. We got dusty and we couldn't get supercar. Oh, Not always, but sometimes. My favourite one was when we were doing Godzilla. There's a shot in the film that comes and goes in three seconds, but it took a long time to set up. A plane crashes in the jungle, like it falls from the sky, and it, there's this massive explosion. They actually set up an explosion in the middle of the jungle through the night, and it was one of these things that once they start trying to do it, everyone has to back away for an hour. Yeah. Because if it accidentally goes off, people die. And so once we set up and we did loads of rehearsals, loads of rehearsals, loads of rehearsals, and then they suddenly like, okay, no one's allowed in this area now. We're going to wire the explosions, and we knew it's going to go off like napalm and everything. And so I started playing um, the end by the Doors <laughs> nice. over the speakers, and it was all that, <laughs> and it just felt really good. I, I got a real kick out of it. But I was holding my iPad into the microphone because it's like a voice of God for the director. Yeah. I was having to play it through the speakers of my iPad into the microphone. But then it got really like, it got tiring on my hands and I like wanted to stop, but I had to let the song finish and it lasts about, it feels like it lasts about seven minutes. Yeah. That's a great story. I love that. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend, the end of our elaborate plans, the end of everything that stands, the end, no safety or surprise, the end.
I imagine any time you hear that Star Wars theme now, anywhere you go for the rest of your life, you're part of that world now. I really thought it was going to ruin it for me. I was worried I'd never be able to watch Star Wars again and like have the same feelings because yeah. it was hard making a film. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's happened. Like to me, that moment when Luke stands out and looks on the horizon and you see the two suns setting and you hear that music, I get goosebumps. That aspiration of like the horizon and, and the adventure of your life and you can go and do whatever you want if you just believe in it. As a kid, that was so effective to me. And when I was 30, I went to Tunisia where they shot all that stuff. And every time we pulled up at a new location, I'd, I'd get my iPod out and listen to a bit of John Williams. And there's one track called Binary Sunset that is that moment. Also, um, Tales of a Jedi Knight, I think it's called, where Obi-Wan is telling the story of Luke's father and the lightsaber. And I find it hard not to tear up. It's embarrassing because it's just a film. It's a sci-fi film that all these kids watched, like, and I was one of them. But it's important. It's hard to explain to people who weren't that age, but it really meant something. The years have gone by, as you become a filmmaker, you start to analyse, like, why did it work so well? What are they doing that other people aren't doing? And I think one of the main things they were doing, that George was doing, is that he read a book or he learnt about this academic who looked at storytelling and wanted to write one of the greatest novels ever written. And he took the, the Bible, War and Peace, the Quran, and, and he went to study them in, like, a log cabin. Mm. And as he was making notes, he realised all his notes were the same. And essentially, every single story ever told is the same story. And so instead, he wrote a book called Hero with a Thousand Faces, that every story ever told is identical and George took that story you know and just called this one Ben Kenobi that one Luke Skywalker but Star Wars is that primal story that for whatever reason for thousands and thousands of years we've wanted to hear but it just has spaceships and robots in it I think that's why it hits such a chord because it's kind of for a generation that weren't growing up religious it filled that gap you know what I mean yeah. it was like this is what you should have been sat around a campfire listening to but we live in a modern world now and there's no campfires and no one tells you these things and so it, we just like just et it up amazing Garth absolute pleasure mate thank you very no, much thank you cheers thanks
from Michael Giacchino's score to Rogue One. That's the beautiful Guardians of the White Suit, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Gareth Edwards. My huge thanks to Gareth for taking the time to talk to us. What a humble and unassuming fellow he is. Rogue One is on general release in our little corner of the universe now and makes for a most enjoyable addition to the Star Wars canon. There's a full track list for this show via edithbowman.com where you can also subscribe to the podcast and listen to all of our previous episodes. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We're at Soundtracking UK. And do rate us on iTunes if you get the chance. Next up is Justin Curzo, who's taken on the challenge of transferring the phenomenally successful video game Assassin's Creed to the screen. I look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.